Well, good morning. It's a rough crowd today. Hope you guys treat me better than uh, they were treating me up, up, up here. But um, it's great to see you. Hope you had a great weekend, a great week. It's pretty uh, uh, interesting transition, right, between the trunk or treat theme and then we go into this really uh, worshipful type music, right? But, um, you know, I sat in a concert this spring. I, I believe it was. It was February, March, somewhere in there in Toledo at the Huntington Center. It's called Worship Night in America. I don't know if I know some of you were there. Went with my uh, my family and my small group, and um, <clears throat> great music. Chris Tomlin was leading. A lot of different artists were there. In the middle of it, this guy got up, this pastor got up, and started talking about <clears throat> these seven words that describe praise in the Psalms. And I'm just sitting there, and his presentation was so powerful, and like I was just moved by what he was talking about. And as he's talking, I'm also sitting there thinking, yeah, didn't, you, uh, didn't you learn this in wisdom literature in, in your, one of your college courses? Like, yeah, I remember us talking about these words. And this other thought's coming to my mind is, where have you been for the last 16, 17 years? Why haven't you talked about this yet? And it just all came together for me that night. And I thought, you know what? And I felt the Lord just kind of speaking into my heart that night and saying, we, you need to share this at church. And so for our November series, um, our four-week four week series, uh, we're going to talk about this idea of um, <clears throat> praise, this one word, praise. Now, and I've written this down very specifically. I want you to hear these words. We're going to try to open our hearts and minds to what God intended for us to experience when we praise him. I'm going to ask you to be willing to allow the Lord to show you something that might be different than you are used to. I got your attention? We all come from various backgrounds. We all have things that have been hardwired into us due to the environments we've lived in. And this series might challenge your comfort level. Okay? It might mess with your preconceived thinking. But probably not today. I'm kind of throwing a softball out there today, all right? None of us are going to have to really adjust our thinking too much today. Um, but I want to look at this idea of being lifted high. In, in Isaiah, this, one of those startling pictures of the Old Testament, we see Isaiah has this opportunity to be ushered into the very presence of God. Remember? And he said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Remember how it goes and his train filled the temple and and remember that, it's like a spectacular scene. It's a, honestly, it's kind of a sci-fi type scene, if you ask me. Like, I'm not used to this. There's cherubims and seraphims who are constantly uh, flapping these wings. And you can read about the description of these characters. I mean, it literally is like Lord of the Rings type stuff. 
Right now, in the presence of God, that is what's happening as they're praising God constantly and continually. And Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up. You remember he said, as soon as he saw him, he said words like, and I am a man who's undone. Like the very presence of God caused him to see something. that It was so high and lifted up that he just, And it's out of that that we begin to get a picture of what happens in the very presence of God. It's this idea of the worship of God through the praises of people, creatures, all of creation. Praise is a very real and present reality in the presence of God, and in his kingdom. The people of God over and over and over are called to, are admonished to, are invited to praise the Lord. You've heard that phrase, right? You can't open the scriptures without reading very far, and there's that phrase, there's that word, praise, praise, praise. And I want to talk about in this series, what that looks like. God calls us to this, but what does that look like? How is it experienced? Why does he use these different words to, through the Psalms to help us understand that praise looks like this, and this, and this, and it includes this, and this. It's just a beautiful thing that God has actually described for us so that we can participate in in order for us to experience fully what it is to this dynamic of praising God. Now, often we confuse the word worship and praise. And for me to start a series, I have to make a difference here. Because we, we, we do, we confuse these words, worship and praise. We, we, we call this a worship service, do we not? I think that's how we put it on our website. That's what you understand. You're coming to a worship service. And, and you would say that in, that in our service, we have different elements of the service, correct? We have music where there's praises being lifted up. That's worship. But we also have prayers that are being lifted up. That's worship. We have the time of giving of our tithes and offerings, that's worship. We actually have a time when the word is open, calling us to hear from the Lord, from his word, that's worship. Worship is bigger than praise. Worship is a way of life. Now they did this very specifically for me right here, okay? Because I totally forgot to talk about this in first service. Something that's been on my heart, we've done in the past, you've done in the past, that I want to start doing every once in a while, maybe three times a year, is just have a setting on a Sunday night, this one's November the 18th at 7, in the worship center, where we're just going to have a night of worship. You remember they used to call it what, um, Fuse? I don't know, we don't have any cool names now. We just call it Worship Night. Um, but you can come, and, and uh, we're just going to kind of let our hair down, so to speak. We're just going to worship God. A lot of music, just singing and praising, and, and we want to start doing this. 
kind of just every once in a while. So you can come in on a Sunday night. It's different than the, kind of the deal today and just worship the Lord. But worship is a way of life. Why isn't my thing working? What did you do to my thing? Worship is a, a way of life. I think it's stuck. Okay. What I mean by that is that the scriptures, well, here's what it said in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Romans is written, it's like this textbook explanation. Who God is, who we are, how lost we've been, how great God's love and mercy is, how faith is the way to connect with God, the sacrifice of Jesus, what that does in our life, how it gives us new life, and we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God, and there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh. I mean, just like this whole stuff that like, you could just take the book of Romans and you would walk away and know what you needed to know about a relationship with God. Those first 11 chapters, I mean, it's just textbook. And Paul says it this way. In chapter 12 and verse one, he says, therefore, in light of everything I've talked about, for 11 chapters, I've explained this to you. And because of this, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, that you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And he introduces us to this idea that worship is far more than an event that we go to. Right? Worship is a way of life. The way I act is worship toward God, or can be. The way my attitudes are, it's worshiping God. The way that I give of my resources and serve with my time, it's all an act of worship before God. Worship in scripture is a way of life. And in fact, Jesus, uh, as he meets with this woman at the well um, in John chapter four, and um, here's, here's how it goes. He wants a drink, this woman shows up, it's just those two, they start this dialogue, She's a Samaritan woman. He's a Jewish man. Enemies, so to speak. Or their races were enemies. And they start to talk about this living water that Jesus introduces to her. And she realizes he's a religious man. He's a prophet. Or he's a kind of a, and so she starts to talk about, well, you know, my people worship God up on this mountain. She would have pointed to that mountain. I've actually been up where the Samaritan temple is. And she would have said, they worship God up there. And you guys worship God down there in the Jerusalem temple. And, and that's kind of what we do. And Jesus just kind of begins to break this down for her as the New Testament does. And says, listen, God is a spirit and his worshipers worship in the spirit and in truth. And he begins to take away this idea of worship being in a specific time and place. And that worship is a way of life. Paul would tell us that our bodies now are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Like the idea that we just came and we worshiped God and experienced God in a building is long gone since the veil has been rent and Jesus' spirit has been shed abroad. And, and, and what we begin to understand about worship is that it's every day, everywhere, 
It's our life. Our life is a way of worship. Now, I like this phrase. Worship, this is what Robert Weber would say. Worship, he did say that. Worship refreshes the soul, rekindles the spirit, and renews life. We are hardwired with an urge, a universal urge, to worship something. Worship is as natural as eating and breathing. I would tell you today, you are worshiping something. We all are. If we're not worshiping God, we're worshiping something else. Whether it be our families, whether it be our job, occupation, our life's work, our hobbies, we're worshiping something. That's just the way we're wired. We as human beings worship. It's just who we are. And the worship of God, Robert Weber would remind us, is a worship that refreshes, that rekindles, that renews us. It's this life-giving activity and relationship and connection to God that as we worship him, we receive refreshment, we're renewed, we're rekindled in our life to have the energy, to have the purpose, to have the courage to live life at a full measure. And so I want to jump in to something about worship in these next few weeks. Because the word praise is not all worship. We talk about praise and worship, do we not? And so often we, we confuse the two, and I want to make sure that we don't. Worship is that connection to God, that life that we live. Praise is a part of worship that energizes us for the lifestyle of worship. Praise is a part of worship, but praise is not worship. And yet, over and over and over in the scriptures, we are called to praise the Lord. What does that mean? How does that look? How does it work? And I want to just dive in to the seven words that describe praise uh, in the Psalms. The Psalms are the songbook of God, right? It's the, uh, it's, it's the praise book of the scriptures. It's, it was what was sung in the, in the temple, in the, in the worship services. It was that praise part. And God very carefully, as he inspired David and many other writers to write the Psalms, he inspired them to write these praise words very intentionally for us to grab a hold of, what does it mean to praise the Lord? What does it look like? How do I participate in praising the Lord? What does that mean for me? Is it something that I just sing? Or is it something that I do? Or how do, what does that look like? And the Psalms beautifully describe these things for us, and that's what we're gonna, gonna look at. But the softball one today is one that, um, I'm a, I, I, it doesn't matter what background you came from. It doesn't matter what uh, religious church you were affiliated with, maybe some of your life. All of us get this very easily. Whether it be you come from a Lutheran background, a Catholic background, a Methodist background, um, Pentecostal, whatever, Baptist background, um, or Nazarene. We all get this one very much. In the Psalms, there's this word for praise that's called Barack. It's just like I can't help it. I almost want to say Obama. 
All week long, I've been like, I can't stop thinking about this guy. Barack Obama. Stop. Barack. That's exactly how it's pronounced. Barack. <laughs> Barack Obama. See, you're doing it too, aren't you? It's like so conditioned in our minds, but Barack. And Barack means to kneel, an act of adoration, to praise, to salute. I'm telling you, this is one that we very easily grab a hold of. If praise is a part of worshiping, if praise sets the stage for me to worship God, then I very easily get this word, Barak. Listen to the way it's used in the Psalms. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel. Let us kneel is the word Barak. Barak before the Lord, our maker. It's an attitude of adoration. It's an overwhelming sense of awe, of reverence, of praise. Look at it in Psalms 100 and verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with Barak. Give thanks to him and praise or Barak his name. What is it that he's trying to describe for us that we need to grab a hold of? In Psalms 103, my favorite psalm, Barak the Lord, my soul, all of my inmost being, Barak his holy name. This is what Barak is doing. It's embodying the notion of kneeling before God, of blessing and adoring him, of recognizing one's position in relation to him. And so a part of what happens in our praise of God is the, are these times and this part of praise where we adore him. We adore him. We are moved to a place where we come and we are in reverential awe of him. We all get that, right? I think all of us in our church services, whatever background we come from, there's always a sense in the praise of God where there's a sense of reverential awe. And part of praising God is having an attitude, a mindset that does this. It allows space in our lives for adoration. For adoration. Um, and this is what it looks like. Praise creates Praise creates the ability to see the greatness of God. Part of the reason why we're called to praise the Lord, praise is this idea to prize, right? Or to espouse the value of, the worth of somebody. We praise somebody. We, we are recognizing their greatness or their ability or their, you know, when God calls us to praise him, part of that is a way for us to be conscious of, to think about, to keep in front of us just how great he is. This is easy for us, right? We, I'm not telling you anything new today. But my question is, are you creating space 
in your life for the adoration of God. Let me show you some pictures. What does that do for you? That's amazing, isn't it? I mean, I could go there right now. Just leave and head down there. I think that's at the Grand Canyon. It's amazing, right? I mean, look at these pictures. That's Banff in Canada. Have you ever been there? Some of you have been there. Awe-inspiring, is it not? Take your breath away, beauty. And if you were standing right there where that photographer was, there is no doubt in those moments you would be filled with an awe of God's creation. This is Ireland, right? Coasts of Ireland. I mean, just looking at these pictures, I can sense, even myself, I'm just like, huh. This is somewhere I've never been, but it looks great. Croatia. I didn't know Croatia looked like that. (laughs) I thought it looked more like a third world war-torn country. It's beautiful. Everywhere, all around us. When we see these things, we're reminded of just how great and glorious and powerful and majestic our creator is. And part of praise brings us back in alignment to having these kind of moments. Praise the Lord, why? Barak the Lord, why? Because it reminds me of how great and glorious and powerful he is. You see, this world, we're incredible people. We really are. We are ingenuity. We are, that's not the right word. I'm not even going to go there. We are very creative, made in the image of God, given the brains God's given to us. I mean, we have developed at unbelievable rates. Can you imagine if your great-grandparents sat right now where they, you did, and they went to your house, and they experienced the same things you did, how they would be amazed at the progress we made? Is it, it's, not a, it's incredible, absolutely mind-blowing. We've invented more stuff in the last 30 years than all of civilization before that. That's why you're so tired. I'm just gonna be honest. That's why you're so tired. You and I are experiencing things at a faster rate than we ever have. We're being introduced to new things. We're able to, we have availability of information to us, and it's just like this, and guess what? You and I are just like, oh. That's why we're fatigued. There's so much more and so many options and so many things to try to compute and our poor minds. We have done an incredible job. But you know what that does so often? We begin to slip into this idea of we made this. We're sufficient. We have the ability. And so often we, begin, we have a tendency to forget just how small we are in light of who great he is, his greatness. The psalmist says that nations, nations are like a grasshopper in his sight. And God calls us in the midst of our culture we live in, the world that we live in, to praise the Lord, to barack the Lord. Why? To remind us of just truly how great he is. We have to have space in our life of adoration and praise. 
For God, you are so great. You are vast. You are above all. You are the transcend. You, you are God. In fact, I read, <clears throat> Philip Yancey wrote this, one of my favorite authors. He said he was, uh, he was uh, driving in Alaska and he was driving down a road when he came upon a number of cars pulled off to the edge of the highway. Like any of us would have done, he stopped to see what everybody was looking at, right? And he describes the scene in this way. He said, against the slate gray sky, the water of an ocean inlet had a slight greenish cast. And he saw that in this inlet, in the gray sky, he saw these white caps out in the ocean. But he says, I looked closer, I realized that they were not white caps, but they were whales. Silverly, silver, silvery, white beluga whales in a pod feeding more than 50 feet offshore. He said, I stood with the other onlookers for 40 minutes just listening to the rhythmic motion of the sea and following the graceful, ghostly crescents of the surf- surfacing whales. He said, around me the crowd was hushed, even reverent. For just that moment, nothing else, dinner reservations, trip schedules, life back home mattered. We were confronted with a scene of quiet beauty and a majesty of scale. We felt small. We strangers stood together in silence until the whales moved farther out. Then we climbed the bank together and got into our cars to resume our busy, ordered lives that suddenly seemed less urgent. When he calls us to praise him, to adore him, it's to be reminded of his greatness. Just things like we just take for granted, but yet how miraculous and how powerful and precise God is. Think about the breaths that you take. 23,000 breaths every day. The process of inhaling oxygen and exhaling carbon dioxide is really a complicated respiratory task that requires physiological precision. You see, we tend to thank God for the things that take our breath away. But maybe we should take we maybe we should thank him for every other breath too and be just reminded how great and glorious this creator God is. And when he says Barak my name adore my name he invites us to remember and to adore and stand in wonder and awe at his greatness. But the other thing I was thinking about too is he calls us to Barak his name because he prays in that creates the ability to know the goodness of God. Max Licato says it this way. It's strange that a tool of torture embodies a movement of hope. Its design couldn't be simpler. One beam horizontal, the other vertical. One reaches out like God's love, the other reaches up as does God's holiness. One represents the width of his love, the other the height of his holiness. The cross 
is the intersection. The cross is where God forgave his children without lowering his standards. God put our sin on his son and punished it there. Your sins have been placed on Jesus. Jesus receives the blow. And since Christ is between you and God, you don't. Sin is punished, and yet you are safe. Safe in the shadow of the cross. And part of the reason that God calls us to adore him and what praise does in the activity of calling us to praise the Lord It's to remind us not only of his greatness, but of his goodness. That's why the writers in the New Testament so often remind us to never be far from thinking about the cross of Jesus Christ. In my own life, I have learned that it is important for me to think about the cross on a regular basis to allow music to come into my mind and my heart that remind me about the goodness of God and the cross of Jesus Christ. To allow my heart to to think about the cross because in it, it's only a matter of time as I begin to think about the cross, as I begin to allow this activity come into my mind that I'm overwhelmed with adoration and praise for how good God truly is. And when he says, praise the Lord, he calls us, when he says, barak the Lord, it's calling us to always carve out time in our lives for adoration and praise. The question is, it's this. Are you allowing space in your life for adoration? Praise the Lord. Barak the Lord. Let us bow before the Lord our maker. Let us kneel. Let us, let us adore him. You and I who have worshiping hardwired into our DNA are going to worship something. And he calls to us. He invites us. Praise me. Allow your heart and mind to be lifted up, to think about my greatness, to think about my goodness, and allow that to feel, fill that vacuum-sized part of your soul. Adore me. And so praise means adoration, does it not? Adoration for God's greatness and God's goodness. You know, this morning we're going to do communion here together. And um, I just thought it would be appropriate. My favorite psalm, as I begin to look at it, as I've known this psalm. Guess what word is all through this psalm? Barak. And this psalm reminds us of God's greatness and God's goodness. And so I'm going to invite you this morning to stand with me as we prepare to take communion and would you read this psalm together with me this morning as we prepare our hearts as we allow our minds and hearts to praise the Lord to adore him to find that part of him that just 
is greatness, his glory. And it lifts me up to a place where no longer does this world around me matter as much as the thing that is most important, the greatness and the, glory and the goodness of God. That's where my mind, that's where my heart needs to be settled and fixed. And that's why the, the scriptures urge us, praise the Lord. Yes, come in into the worship service. Even before you get here on your drive or as you're getting ready, prepare your heart to praise me, barack me, lift me up. Allow adoration to take place and awe in your heart for how great, how good I am. As you live out your daily lives, create space in your lives to just simply adore the Lord, being reminded of his greatness and goodness. And this psalm does such a good job of, of that. Would you read it with me this morning? Oops. Praise the Lord, my soul. All of my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. Would you listen to these words now? Some of the most powerful words that you can ever grab a hold of in scripture. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. It's that truth. It's those words is why we praise him. We extol him. We allow ourselves to be reminded of his greatness and his goodness. And it creates a sense of awe, of reverence, of adoration. And his goodness is best represented at the cross. And so in these moments as we close, I invite you to come forward, to remember, to celebrate the goodness of God. 
and allow adoration to just saturate your entire soul. Would you come forward as we begin to sing?
out to you, Jesus. And here my hope is found here on holy ground here. open wide here you save my life here I bow down here I bow bow down before you to King Jesus
Father, we hear your, your call to us to praise the Lord, to barack the Lord, to allow space in our lives to just stop and adore you for your greatness and your goodness. And Lord, when we, uh, when we intentionally do that, we allow our hearts to be lifted up, it enables us as your children to just trust you more, to follow you uh, in, in such a way that we just know that you know exactly what we need and you're good. So Lord, this morning, but yet through this week and in our lives, we ask that you would help us to praise the Lord in this way, to adore you, Father to allow our hearts to know truly who you are. And that's what matters above everything else. And as your children, we can know that you are more powerful and you are more loving than anything that this world can throw at us. And so Lord, we praise the Lord. We barack the Lord this morning, adoring you. Go with us, keep this attitude and this heart, this mindset on us all through our days, in Jesus' name, amen.